And we are back here on KUCI's Justice or Just Us. That's the visionaries from uh, a CD titled Free the P. And uh, the P stands for Palestinians, but it also stands for all people. And uh, great, great track. And uh, I tell you, I think Tumex is probably one of the best hip-hop artists around right now. Uh, hey, today we are taking a look at quality of life, uh, inspired by a filmmaker, Robert Rodriguez, and we know Robert Rodriguez from uh, El Mariachi, Spy Kids, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Uh, Benjamin Morgan, a quote-unquote, enrolled in his own personal independent film school, refusing to spend tens of thousands of dollars on formal film school. Morgan instead spent under $5,000 to produce three narrative videos that won him critical acclaim and a reputation for creating entertaining, incredibly realistic films with little or no resources. All of his films revolve around the lives of at-risk youth, and the stories are drawn from his own real-life experiences as a former troubled teen and his 12 years of professionally working directly with at-risk youth in the juvenile justice system. His newest film uh, is uh, actually his first feature film. It's titled Quality of Life, and uh, not only was it shot and edited in the Emission District of San Francisco, but it presents an authentic and gripping look at uh, the lives of two young graffiti writers struggling to maintain their friendship after getting busted by the cops. Here to talk about his new film is director Benjamin Morgan. Benjamin, are you with us this morning? Hey, I am. How are you doing, Jared? Good. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I should point out that the film is uh, opening tomorrow right across from campus at the Edwards University Town Center 6. So that is uh, certainly something people want to check out. Um why don't you begin by giving a little synopsis of the film for our listeners? Okay, first of all, I always like to tell people it's not a documentary because uh, no matter how many times I say that, people seem to think it is. Um, so it's, it's basically it's a friendship story, and it's about two graffiti writers from San Francisco from the Mission District um, and them just adjusting to uh, a new lifestyle after they get arrested for the last and final time and they're threatened and faced with prison time. So would you say that the film is primarily about uh, graffiti artists or the film uh, uses that as, uh, you know, a mess, uses that as an avenue or a vehicle to, to spread uh, a bigger, broader message? Yeah, really, graffiti is just a backdrop. Graffiti is a setting. It's a friendship story. It's a human story. It's a universal story. Um, it just happened to be a story that was familiar to me and to Brian Burnham, the co-writer and co-star of the film, is, is, you know, is, who was involved in the contemporary culture. This was really based on his life and his experiences and his friends. So um, graffiti is a backdrop, and we, we use the title as a way to push the political dialogue, but, uh, but, but the story is really ultimately about friendship. The uh, it's interesting that your your bio describes you as a you know DIY a do it yourself kind of filmmaker, and uh, certainly this program has uh, spent a lot of hours uh, looking at kind of do it yourself culture 
um, whether we're looking at food, not bombs and, and, you know, feeding, feeding the homeless yourself or whether we're talking about, you know, street stenciling or uh, whatever it might be. At the same time, uh, graffiti or street art or whatever we want to call it is a kind of a do-it-yourself approach to uh, spreading messages, to creating something new and so forth. Could you talk a bit about your decision to kind of teach yourself or uh, do-it-yourself filmmaking? Well, actually, uh, for, for quality, of life, quality of life, it was more necessity than anything. I think if someone would have thrown a million dollars at it, we probably would have taken it. But it ended up being the best way to make this movie because it was the authentic way to make a movie about graffiti. So when we realized that we didn't have any money, uh, we adopted the graffiti model to make the movie. So, you know, graffiti is all about getting up. It's about getting a spot and not having any resources and making the best of what you have, uh, racking your paint, you know, and doing whatever you can and still making a powerful, compelling statement without having any resources so that we adopted that model to get the movie made so we didn't scout locations we didn't um, you know do all the normal things that you would do on a production it was just about getting up for us we would find a spot sometimes we were getting our locations the same day and we would get in there we'd get one or two takes and we'd get out um, so so we really we actually wrote a book about this too a little plug for you um, and and that's what the, the book is about um, DIY filmmaking and making a movie with no money and using the graffiti model um, as a way to do that we're speaking with Benjamin Morgan he is the uh, director of quality of life a, uh, a film now this isn't a, a new film but it's new to uh, the Irvine community it's it's is it been touring the country is that how it's been working well, we played film festivals last year and actually 2004 as well. And then for the past uh, six months or so, or before that actually, we've been raising money and trying to uh, get just enough to take it out on a theatrical. So we played in our hometown of San Francisco for six weeks, and now we're rolling it out, you know, self-distributing in theaters across the country. And Irvine will be the first place we've really played, uh, theatrically at least. We played film festivals in Berlin and Stockholm, Spain, Seattle. We played all over the world. But theatrically, Irvine will be the first place we've played outside of our hometown and before we uh, before we go to New York in April. And was it playing, if I remember correctly, at the Red Vic in San Francisco? Red Vic was the last place we played, yeah. We played uh, four different theaters, actually, in San Francisco. And that's just and, a, my own little plug for the Red Vic. So uh, uh, It's my favorite theater on the planet. It's, yeah, you it's, know, it's, it's, a, it's a cooperative, and it's, it's just the coolest place you'll ever be. All right, well, let's, uh, let's back up a bit and uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how that kind of became the impetus for the film. Well, there were two things that pushed me to make this movie. Is one that I was involved with the graffiti subculture as a kid in the '80s, so you know something that was always near and dear to my heart, something I always wanted to tell a story about. Um, there are so many stories to tell about the graffiti subculture, but also I've been working with at-risk kids within the juvenile justice system for the past. 13 plus years. So there was nothing to me that exemplified everything that's wrong with the juvenile justice system, like the war on graffiti. Um, it, it's a completely symptom based intervention. You focus on literally the writing on the walls. Uh, and you try to paint over it and hope that the problem goes away without addressing any of the core issues. So my experience in, in the juvenile justice system was really what pushed me, you know, to, to make a political statement, although, as I've mentioned, the film is not politically charged in any way. The subject matter and the title, of course, is. Could you give our listeners a sense, uh, maybe you're speaking personally, I don't know if you could speak generally, but, um, you know, why do uh, individuals turn to street art? or graffiti or whatever term we want to refer to it as? 
I think the the reasons are really varied. It's an incredibly diverse culture. Um, when I was growing up, the culture was not nearly as diverse as it is now. Um, you know, I'm white, and when I was growing up, I was a minority, and it was it was pretty much an urban phenomenon of people who were mostly um, working class, you know, folks from the city. Nowadays, I, I couldn't you you can't uh, categorize street artists or graffiti artists. They come from every walk of life. You've got people coming from the suburbs. You have people in every corner of the globe, from Berlin to London to Bulgaria, Iran. People are doing it for, for different reasons. But I think the the one driving core motivation that everyone shares, it, it's, an act of, it's an act of rebellion. It's also um, an act of, of individuality. And, and cities are very anon- anonymous places, and it's hard to make a name for yourself, especially if you don't have a lot of resources. You know, you, you can buy a building or a billboard or a television commercial or a company or whatever, and you have an identity and you have, you know, you make a name for yourself in the city. Um, well, most people don't have that alternative, and but graffiti and street art gives people a way to, to have a voice and to make a statement and, and to be heard without having any resources whatsoever. It's interesting because I, I think uh, I just finished watching the film, I think, at 1 o'clock last night, and it, it is quite uh, it's quite good. Uh, but uh, one of my favorite uh, scenes is uh, actually is not much action, although the, the film certainly... Uh, hits you over the head with with a lot of action and, and a great soundtrack but I think my favorite part is just a dialogue between uh, a father and a son where the father is is asking the son you know why do you have to do this why you know you want to express yourself you know get get a billboard and uh, the son says wait a second you've got your own business you can't afford a billboard you know where can I turn as a, a teenager to uh, to express myself where can I go to you know, to spread whatever message I want. And it's interesting because uh, given, you know, the war in Iraq and the, the so-called war on terror and so forth, for, for those activists that want to send a message of peace, uh, we could either banner drop illegally or street stencil or, or graffiti. We, we certainly don't have resources to, uh, to express our individuality. Yeah, it's interesting because so much of what you see in the film is drawn directly from Brian's life. Uh, you know, we'd be talking and he'd tell me of things that happened yesterday, you know, and then, then I'd put him in the script and write it all wrong. And then he'd have to, you know, rewrite it. But that scene where he, where Mikey and Pops are having it out about, you know, where he's at with his life and doing graffiti and is he going to make the same choices and keep going to jail and eventually prison and that was drawn directly from a, a debate Brian had had with his dad. Excuse me, and um, I, I agree with you that it, graffiti and street art—it's it's the ultimate equalizer. It's you know there are so many things right now that are happening. It, it's a really interesting time in history. The internet um, is the great equalizer. People can have a voice. You can have a blog, and people all over the world can hear you. You don't have to have a lot of money for that. You can have no money really, and just do it at the library. Um, and graffiti and street art's the same way. You've got people, you know, the the Billboard Liberation Front and and Ron English. You've got people who are taking over billboards, making a powerful political statement, and not only are the people in the city seeing them, but then people are taking pictures of them and putting them online, and people all over the world are seeing them. So I think it's a really interesting time, and it, it hasn't quite clicked with the political movement, and, and I'm really curious to see. You know, that's my own. Um, uh, most of the graffiti writers that I know don't really have an interest in politics. I'm not saying all, but most don't. But I think 
it definitely represents at least potentially the most potent form of non this nonviolent resistance that, that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I think that you you're really onto something there. I mean, the the past year or two, we've had uh, we had someone uh, from the Billboard Liberation Front, and I say someone because the person was uh, anonymous to me. That uh, yeah. we did have, uh, I forget what what the moniker that uh, the the main guy goes by, and uh, we also had Josh McPhee, who uh, some listeners may know as the uh, the editor, if you will, of uh, the book Stencil Pirates. Yeah, and good, good guy. yeah, and uh, we've also had um, folks from uh, Adbusters, uh, Tim Walker from the the Media Foundation of Adbusters. So we've really taken a look at all of this, and it seems that uh, all the offshoots of of street art have uh, really taken on the the, the political messages, and uh, it's. At the same time, there's a difference between uh, the medium and the message. And I think your point is that when when the medium itself uh, is political because it's rebellious and it's, uh, you know, the great equalizer that that the message kind of becomes secondary. Right. It, it's, it is the act of creating itself that is rebellious. And I think that that's what a lot of youth latch on to. It's something that we had difficulty explaining when we were trying to get this movie made and then get, you know, find a distributor. Um, people didn't really understand, uh, first of all, that youth were uh, attached to this in any way. And they thought that there was this core niche audience of graffiti writers and that there weren't that many of them and they wouldn't pay to go to the movies. And what they failed to understand is that graffiti has really become the last form of urban rebellion and that kids in general have latched onto it because of the act, because it is like, you know, an F you in your face kind of thing that, that I'm going to take back um, public property and that, you know, I can't afford that ad, I can't afford the Gap billboard or the Toyota or Nike, but I can put my name on a wall. And, you know, you can't really stop me, and you can try. But So I, I think that there's this very, you know, when you look back at history, too, when, when there's, you know, a lot of bank robbings going on around the time of uh, of, of the, the Great Depression, and you know there were people that were kind of rallied behind that, and they were excited about mobster films. And I, I, I think that although you know, graffiti is definitely, you know, people don't want to have someone tag on their house or something. It's not like they want to take it home with them. There's definitely this kind of uh, uh, people idolize it in, in a certain way and and, and glamorize it and uh, respect it, really, especially youth and especially people who are politically motivated. Certainly, you know, it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I, I teach a course on crime and popular culture, and uh, I just finished lecturing last week on the, the whole concept of uh, criminals who kind of become heroic icons like, you know, Billy mm-hmm. the Kid or Jesse James. And uh, there's this kind of myth that they were these Robin Hoods who, you know, robbed banks and then gave the money back to the farmers who lost their land to the railroads and, and so forth. But yeah, the, the same with, you know, during the Depression, you have, you know, Dillinger and Capone and all of these figures that uh, kind of took on, uh, became heroic uh, icons. But uh, anyway, we are speaking with Benjamin Morgan, talking about his film Quality of Life. Let's move to some of the non-graffiti points of of the movie, because as you point out, that's really just a backdrop. The film uh, is shot and edited in the Mission District of San Francisco, and while it's not a documentary, it has a very... uh, gritty kind of realistic feel to it. Could you tell our listeners uh, a bit about life in the Mission District and uh, the kind of street culture that uh, you were trying to depict? 
Yeah, well, the mission is really the core of this movement in San Francisco and certainly one of the cores uh, in the world. Um, and you've seen a lot of famous artists come out of there, Doug Wan and um, on Twist and you know, Barry McGee. And so we've had all these world-renowned artists come out of this movement. And now there's this new generation, uh, Sam Flores and, and Andy Schultz and you know these cats that are coming out of the mission. So we, we were really committed to shooting the entire film in the mission and shooting it um, in basically doc mode. So we had, you know, we had a, a cinematographer and he had an assistant, and then we had a sound man, and that was really all we needed. You know, we had a gaffer who did some lights now and then, but it was really we were in documentary mode. We didn't have to have a crew of 50 people with a van, you know, a big grip truck. We just we just were out there on the street shooting, and uh, it was really liberating, and we were able to move fast. You know, we shot the film in 18 days, so we didn't have a lot of time. So a lot of a lot of the aesthetic that we were going for just grew out of um, the resources that we had available to us. So we didn't have the luxury of time or the luxury of having a huge crew, but it was also a conscious decision to not have a big crew because we wanted to stay faithful to the graffiti subculture and, and, and the aesthetic of graffiti and really the aesthetic of bombing because this film isn't about piecers, you know, guys who you know, do big, elaborate, colorful pieces in broad daylight, you know, with permission. This is about street bombers, guys who are going out and just getting spots um, quick, fast, get in, get out. So we had to adopt that same model to get the film made so that it, we stayed faithful to, to the characters. And what are some of the risks of uh, juveniles growing up in uh, the Mission District? What, what challenges do they face? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we, we made this film about guys that were in their early 20s because that's a time in a lot of graffiti writers' lives that they face the same choice. You go to jail so many times and, you know, you get to a point in your life where you have a girlfriend or somebody who's, you know, kind of a parent is, you know, getting on you about consistently getting in trouble and when, when are you going to get your life together, even if skateboarding tickets and parking tickets. I mean, these kind of things just add up and you keep going to jail and you can't get ahead. So we, we actually made a conscious decision to, to move it up because the original script was based on teenagers but we, we moved it up to mid-20s because that's when people were facing this crisis and I think uh, what people in, at that age group in the mission are facing and, and internationally really a lot of graffiti writers that I know from you know Berlin to London to Stockholm are, are facing is that they can't find a job that pays them enough to live the way they want to live you know which is to have the kind of lifestyle they want to have where you can afford to have a nice house and you can afford to eat well and you can afford to take vacations and and also there aren't a lot of good job opportunities out there the the jobs that are available for most of my friends are you know menial jobs that don't pay very much um, don't have benefits and are not very gratifying so i think you know we've, we've seen in the bigger picture that there's been kind of a a, a shift um in the in, in the disbursement of wealth where you've got, you know, 1% of the population has 90% of the wealth or something like that. And so you've got people down at the bottom that are just clamoring to try to make ends meet. And, and you see a lot of them turning to things that uh, people consider, you know, undesirable. But for them, it's, it's, it's a creative outlet. It's, it's the only thing that they can grasp onto. Yeah, and I did misspeak earlier because I think that that's one of the important parts of, uh, of the movie is that they're not... When when I say teenagers, I mean I'm thinking you know 18 or 19, just at that point where you you're no longer really going to be tried as a juvenile, and you're not quite 
really an adult, but you're kind of coming of age. And so in in one sense, the, the film is kind of a, a coming of age. And I know that that sounds cliche, but in, in, in a real sense, it kind of is that kind of film. No, it absolutely is a coming of age film. You know, I don't, I don't take offense to that at all. Um, and, and people come of age at different times, but, you know, a lot of my friends didn't come of age at, you know, 15 or 16 or whatever you see it in the movies typically. You know, they either went to college or they didn't, or they, they went and got a job, but, you know, they still kind of did the same stuff that they were doing when they were in high school in terms of partying on the weekends and hanging out with friends and not really getting serious about anything. And I think it really is a result of the way things are culturally now that, you know, there aren't a lot of clear choices um, in terms of employment and, and, and your future, so people do get stuck in these certain kinds of ruts, but um, I think graffiti and street art offer people this kind of this fun, exciting lifestyle to live and, and to be, I think most importantly, famous in your culture and your, in your clique, your group. You get to be famous. People know who you are, and that's, that's invaluable. I want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine, 88.9 FM, KUCI.org on the internet, where we now podcast our public affairs program. So you could log on and uh, find out how to uh, listen to me even more. And uh, we're speaking with uh, ben, uh, ben Morgan, Benjamin Morgan. You go by Ben or Benjamin? Oh, you can call me Ben. That's fine. Oh, there you go. Uh, he's the director of uh, New Film Quality of Life, opening tomorrow at uh, Edwards University Town Center. And uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I was—I uh, don't want to give too much away from the plot line. But um, one of the there is a point in the movie where uh, one of the characters, and of course, the, the film kind of chronicles um, the divergent paths that two two friends take. Um, one of the characters has an opportunity to kind of uh, use his uh, his talent for graffiti or street art um, for for an advertisement. And um, some folks might say that that's selling out and that you need to keep the the uh, art form authentic. How, how do you respond to that? I think it's a, it's an incredibly difficult challenge that a lot of artists face in all walks of life, whether it's music or film or, or graffiti, that you have something that you love to do and you do it in a certain way. Um, and the, you know, the ultimate coming of age for anyone is, uh, is to be able to get paid for doing what you love. So if that opportunity faces you and someone says, you're really good at doing art, you know, you're a graffiti artist, but you're art, you're so talented. You could do advertisements. You could work for my design firm and, you know, have a six-figure fig- six income. That's, that's pretty hard to turn away. And, you know, it, you see a lot of people getting sucked into it. And, and the challenge for him was that, you know, that the, the opportunity wasn't um, perfect. He had to change who he was and so on. But you've also seen a lot of people have taken advantage of that and done quite well for themselves. You know, you've got Doug Wan from San Francisco. He's started a, a firm in New York, and he's, he designed M&M's logo and Jay-Z, and he's doing really well. And um, so it, it can be done, but, but it's this balance that I think a lot of artists can relate to. How do you make – is it better to, you know, wait tables at night and then do your art during the day, or, or are you better off trying to um, adapt and, and make sacrifices? It's, it's, a re- it's a real challenge that I've had a lot of people come up to me and, and say they could relate to that, you know, they weren't graffiti artists or whatever, but they were artists in some way. And I think it's a pretty common struggle. And uh, I guess that leads to a, a nice, uh, you know, closing point. How were you able 
to uh, make a film that uh, is certainly getting a, a lot of acclaim and, and you know, traveling the country without, quote unquote, selling out. How are you able to maintain your independence as a filmmaker? And what advice would you give to listeners who uh, want to follow in your footsteps? I think filmmakers, especially if you're writing a script, you have to consider yourself your only audience. And if you are happy with what you write, then you know that there's a segment of the population out there who thinks like you and likes the same kind of things you do, and you'll make somebody happy. Um, so that's the way that Brian and I approached the story, that we didn't care what anyone thought. We just caught, If we were happy with what we had written, then we moved on, and we didn't think about it too much. So that's, we, just, we just stayed uh, authentic, stayed authentic to the subculture, but also stayed true to our own goals and our own beliefs and, and told a story that was real. And, and you know, I've had graffiti writers come up to me from all over the world, from literally from, from Berlin to Seattle to everywhere to San Francisco, come up to me and say the same exact phrase, I feel like you told a story about my life. And I get that email and that quote, it's just eerie when I keep hearing it. And, and there really is no higher compliment. And how are you able to finance the film, if, if you don't mind asking me asking? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, this is, once again, I hate to keep plugging my book, but, you know, the guy, South Skull Press, the same people who put out uh, Stencil Pirates, Josh's book, right. are putting out our book this summer. And that's something we talk about a lot. How do you make a movie with no money? It can be done. There are resources available. And, you know, we were just really creative. We actually, we had um, two art auctions where local artists donated their art. And we threw a big party and DJs volunteered and we got the space for free. And we sold thousands of dollars of art art and and uh, that really you know we were able to buy our film stock with our first art auction and um so we were created there we basically sold screen credit so you know people could buy, have their name on the screen for 100 bucks or 300 bucks they could write a little note and and then we actually did raise some investment once once uh, the snowball got going a little bit and sold some shares here and there but mainly it was just scraping and clawing and and um you know there's a saying that if you follow your bliss doors will open where there were no doors before and and that really was the case for us that you know it just seemed hopeless every day but we just kept stepping off ledges and hoping that a parachute would appear and 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 it did it just it kept things just kept opening up for us and i think it was because we stayed faithful to our vision The film is called Quality of Life. It opens tomorrow, March 10th at Edwards University Town Center 6. And uh, are you going to be there this weekend? I actually will not be there this weekend, uh, but Brant, my filmmaking partner, the guy who wrote the story with me and and produced the film, he will be there for Q&A sessions uh, in the evenings on Friday and Saturday. Great. And uh, if listeners are interested, I've got a pair of tickets to go see the uh, movie this weekend. You could call in at 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824. Ben, thank you so much for being with us uh, this morning on KUCI. Thank you, Jared. And good, and good luck with the film. Thanks. Can I give a quick plug for our website, Quality of Life? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Please, please do. Say it again. Qualityoflifethemovie.com, qualityoflife-themovie.com. We're also on MySpace at Quality of Life. And what is going to be the name of the book on Soft Skull? It's called Putting the Pieces Together, the Graffiti Model for Indie Filmmaking. Great. And good luck with that, too. And uh, I hope the film is a success. Great. Thanks, Jared. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. And uh, again, uh, you could give us a call here at 949-824-5824, 949-UCI-KUCI. Get a pair of tickets to go see Quality of Life this weekend at the Edwards University Town Center 6. And uh, while I'm taking your call, uh, here is uh, Brand New Gel, KUCI in Irvine.